Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 3. Here's what it says. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iteria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysian, uh, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Now there's the rundown of the Roman and the Jewish leadership. It says, the word of God came to John. Now this is John the Baptist. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. This was sins. This was John's message that, look, Messiah is coming. We need to repent of our sins. We need to get ourselves ready and right before Messiah comes. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is Isaiah's prophecy that John will come. Isaiah didn't mention him by name. But this is what he said. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. Now this is interesting. Make his path straight. In other words, instead of having this curved path, serpentine path, uh, this way and that way, crooked path as we might call it, it's a straight path. Why? It's an easier path. But notice not only uh, on a sort of a latitude a level playing field, making the crooked way straight. But then he says, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. What is this? We're also collapsing this road so that we don't have to go like in a serpentine up and down, up a mountain and hill, down in the valley. Now, this is all figurative speech, but he's, he's saying, look, if we don't repent, if we don't get our lives and hearts right with the Lord, then it's going to be an uphill, downhill, side-to-side uh, task of the Lord to try to work with us. But if we can bring ourselves into subjection to the Lord, if we can repent and bring our hearts uh, into alignment with Him and be ready for Him to speak to us, then his ministry will be like a smooth road, not up and down, not side to side, but like a smooth road to bring to pass his places. So it says, or to bring to, to pass his purposes. So every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let's prepare everybody. Let's prepare the way for the Messiah because he's coming to bring salvation. Let's make it easy for him to do that. Verse 7, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, what does that mean? Uh, babies of snakes, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? John did not have just the most encouraging, warm, fuzzy message. His message was a message of confrontation like 
You need to repent. Now, let me just tell you this. He's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to agnostics. No, he's talking to Jewish people, people who know the book, know the law, know the commandments of God. They know very well what sin is. And so when he's confronting them, he's telling them something that they already know, but they haven't done yet, and that is to repent. He said, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. What does that mean? Don't just come here to be baptized and talk as if you're going to change. No, we need to see actions of change. You need to stop sinning. You need to actually turn from your sin and start living the commandments that you know you should be living it and obeying. So therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. What does that mean? God is ready to come. God is ready to come and bring judgment. God is ready to come and, I mean, to cut down everybody that is walking in pride and disobedience and haughtiness and arrogance. God is ready. So he's coming and bringing a real strong message. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is really a signal of hell to come. Verse 10, so the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. So notice when he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, start living the way you're supposed to be living. They said, like what? What, what should we do? Well, if, if you have two tunics or coats, we could say, and somebody else doesn't have one, give them one of your coats. Start loving each other. Start living right in that way. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Verse 12, then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, okay, so you have a, a job as tax collectors, but don't exploit it and try to get extra money from people by telling them a number that is not the real number. He said, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Verse 14, likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. He was addressing real modern day violations of truth, of the commandments of God and of morality. Verse 15, now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ, the Messiah or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. Boy, I tell you, that just gets me. John is aware that there's coming one after me. And I'm telling you, he is so far above me, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandal strap on his shoe. That is just a precious thing when you've got hundreds and thousands of people coming to hear you preach, to hear you minister, and then for you to say, boy, the one that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. That's how much higher 
than I he is. And of course, he's right because Jesus is God himself in the flesh. So he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, now notice again, verse 16, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you, watch, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, you may relate this to the tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2, the flames that they saw that each sat upon them as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's not the fire he's talking about here. He, he said he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is the same Holy Spirit, the Acts chapter 2 experience. But and fire, watch this, his winnowing fan, his winnowing fan is in his hand. What is a winnowing fan? Well, when you have uh, like a wheat farm and you're going to thresh wheat, you cut the wheat and then you bring it and you put it on a threshing floor. And then you would have different ways of threshing that wheat. Sometimes they would have an animal pull this like, oh, what would you call it? Like a, it looks like a big tray or something, but it's heavy, it's metal, and it is grinding the wheat down on this, like a, we'd call it like a concrete, some hard surface threshing floor. And what it's doing is it's separating the little grains of wheat from the chaff the little tiny leaves and, and growth that's around the, the wheat kernels, it's separating those so then you can be able to extract the wheat and let the chaff be thrown away or burned. So watch this. His winnowing fan is in his hand. Now, how would they separate this? Well, first they would put it on a threshing floor and have something to grind it down to bring the separation. Well, okay, but then how do you extract it? Here's how you extract it. They would take, uh, often they would take like big pitchfork type things and they would stick it into the pile of wheat with all of the leaves and chaff and such and they would throw it up into the air. Now, if it's a windy day, the chaff, which is much, much lighter than the wheat, would blow away. And so the wind would blow it. And then the wheat would fall back down onto the threshing floor. And eventually, when you just keep throwing it up and the wind would blow the chaff away, then the wheat would come back down. But if there's no wind, then you would have to create the wind. And you would do this with a winnowing fan. You're creating the wind. So you're, you're making wind and it's blowing the chaff away. Now, what's interesting is that process is described in Psalm chapter 1. Do you remember this? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the path of sinners. It goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And this person who delights in the law of the Lord will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth his fruit in his season and whatever he does will prosper, right? But it goes on to say the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind dries away. So the ungodly are the ones that you're not going to be the good stuff that the Lord brings into his house, heaven. You're going to be like the chaff that is blown away. Now watch this. John the Baptist said, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's coming one after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Watch this. His winnowing fan is in his hand. In other words, he is determined to separate the wheat who are his people, who are his followers, from the chaff. 
from the other part of the stock. That is not what he wants to keep. He is, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. This is heaven. His family. But the chaff, watch this, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Folks, that's a reference to hell. That the chaff, the people of God that will not serve Jesus, will not respond to the gospel, will not follow him, then he has a winnowing fan. And he will blow the wind and all those who are not part of his family will be blown away. But it says he's not just going to blow them away in the thin air. No. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this is clear. Those who are his, he'll baptize them with the Holy Spirit. But those who are not here, his will end up going to hell forever and ever. Folks, be his. Let's serve the Lord with all of our hearts. Let's have the fear of the Lord and let's obey him. Verse 18. And with many other exhortations, he, John the Baptist, preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. Now what this does not say is that John the Baptist was preaching to these hundreds of people about how bad Herod was. So we don't have record that he was bad-mouthing this wicked leader, Roman leader. But what we do have record of is that John the Baptist confronted the leader directly. So he wasn't trying to get people to revolt against the Roman Empire. He was confronting Herod for doing something immoral. What? He committed adultery with his brother Philip's wife and ended up marrying her and bringing her over with him, and he did many other evils as well. It says here, verse 21, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. So here's the cousin, the six-month younger or so, cousin coming to John. Jesus, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, while Jesus prayed, he wasn't just saying, okay, baptize me. No, he's praying. He's bringing himself before Father God while he prayed. Now, somebody might say, I thought this was a baptism of repentance of sin. It was. Why is Jesus coming from this? Because see, even though Jesus had no sin, you come to this baptism when it's time to make a change, when you know I need to make a change. It was time for Jesus to go from being Jesus of Nazareth the human being, God in human form, to be in Jesus, the anointed one, the minister by the Holy Spirit. And he knew it was time. So he came to not to repent of sin, but to turn from being just a human being from growing up in mom and dad's home and helping with the family and the carpenter or whatever he did for a living. You know, there wasn't as much wood back in that part of the world and a country so many people uh, speculate that maybe this wasn't a wood carpenter, but more of a stonemason. And so nonetheless, now he's going to make a change. Just like other people are making a change, coming to be baptized, to repent of sins, he's coming to make a change, to go from being this obscure, unknown, normal Jewish 
boy, so to speak, young man, to being the minister, the prophet of God, the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it says, he came to be baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. This is when he was anointed. This is the anointing of the Messiah. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, and now we're going to go into some genealogy here, being as was supposed. The reason it says as was supposed is because Joseph was not his biological dad. Mary was indeed his biological mom. So Joseph, being as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, Jesus was the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Mahath, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Semai, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kossam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of, we would say Jose, but it's probably Josie, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Manan, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminab. Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of uh, Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So you're recognizing these names. The son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. Notice this, the son of God. Well, that the son of, you'll notice in the New King James here, it's the son is italicized, which means that those words, and it's the same word repeated in all those generations, they're italicized because those are not translated from original Greek words. Those were added by the translators to try to help us to understand what it's talking about here. But really it just says, of Adam, of God, of, 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 of. See, and so Adam was not really the son of God, but he certainly did come from God. And that's the way that it reads all the way down. This father had this descendant and so on and so forth. And so anyway, that's a beautiful, I, I just love how the Jewish people kept such accurate um, 
genealogical records, and especially of the line of Jesus, the Messiah. So important that we have these so we can track him back all the way to Adam. Don't you love that? So that goes from Jesus all the way back to Adam through the line of Joseph. And so you'll notice here that Jesus was baptized in water. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. When we start off in chapter 4, it'll start from that point. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we are starting the actual ministry, the Holy Spirit-empowered ministry of the Lord Jesus. So we'll start that tomorrow with Luke chapter 4. I'll see you then. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.